0: hey listeners do you fucking love music because we do and if you fucking love music please consider joining us on patreon at patreon.com on the record music where for just five dollars a month you can have access to our private podcast where we go in-depth on albums do extended album reviews do impromptu shows do live shows legacy albums lots of great content on the patreon on the private podcast because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, "Here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music and we love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts, we go to festivals, and that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money, and we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. Hello, hello. You are listening to On The Record Music, a music podcast where we talk all things music. In today's episode, Mr. Jesse Drager and myself, Ben Ringhoffer, are following up a little bit on Lizzo's album, discussing not having the songs Truth Hurts and Boys on the record on the original release. We also talk about hearing a live track on an album when you were hoping for a studio version, live tracks on albums in general, Peter Frampton Comes Alive. Using live albums to get a sense of a band and what they sound like, and as well as a little bit of our own songwriting process. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. If you're listening on iTunes, make it a five star one while you're at it, and also hit us up on Twitter at OTRM Podcast and on Instagram at OnTheRecordMusic. Thank you and enjoy the show. They hand
1: you a joint as you walk in. It's like having a leadoff hitter that hits 210. Oops, wrong number. You and I are kind of perverted. How's that highlight doing? <laughs> it's empty. That song's got traffic. Ah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, Jesse, you're wrong because you can never have enough
1: guitar solo. Oh, love it.
0: Well, what do you got?
1: So... I don't want to say it on this uh, album thing but you talked about uh, albums not having the best the, the song that you want the band you know and it, how, you know, have you ever gone to uh, so like my dad has two stories he wanted to get the Leonard Skinner greatest hits and the main reason was for Freebird so he just listened to it all the way through and they got to Freebird and it's the live version and it pissed my dad off <laughs> <laughs> like he was pissed like yeah, he goes I'm returning this but then, um, you know, my dad and I have always agreed, CCR's very first greatest hits collection didn't have Born on the Bayou easily their most famous song. Mm. So, I, I don't know, I just thought of that as a possible idea. But then, uh, you, you, you're talking about, and this one should have been appropriate to bring up with the Lizza one, but um, album stardom. like, an, an, like and If she would have had those two hits, I was going to ask you, do you think that would have elevated to like thriller level? Like thriller Out of the nine songs on her, like, seven of them are, like, beautiful hits. They're, like, platinum hits, you know?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think just because we live in a different era, I think those songs, Truth Hurts and Boys, are going to be associated with this album regardless. Mm -hmm. Even though they're not in the original, they're on the deluxe, and people are going to pull up the album that has those songs on it. So I think people just because we live in the internet age, are going to associate these songs with this album. So I think as time goes on, if she continues to become popular and big, I think people are just going to be like, yeah, Because I Love You is a great album. It had Truth Hurts, it had Boys, and they're going to name those songs, even mm-hmm. though they weren't on the original album.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, because I think that association is going to make this album just a little bit stronger kind of than what we were than what our ratings kind of show but at the same time that's going to be a part of time in history because you do look back at Thriller that is a great example of an album just being a gold standard album a, a mm-hmm. superstar album and that is I mean it's 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 taken some time to actually take a look at those and they are all like power power hits you know and they're classics
0: yeah that's that's so true when when you were talking about like the f- live free Bird version it kind of reminds me of like the first time I remember listening to like a kiss album when I was a kid because I remember hearing rock and roll all night mm-hmm. and it's they do that like live version thing and they do that f- for I think a lot of their songs I can't remember that whole album off the top of my head but it was one of those where I remember like kind of being disappointed Because Mm -hmm. I wanted, like, a studio version of it, but they have this, like, it's definitely not a live track. Like, it's a recorded track with, like, crowd noises, I'm pretty sure. But I know they did a lot of live stuff, too, but it just was one of those. I remember it's, like, this is, like, the version that gets played. And that happens sometimes where, like, a live version, like, Peter Frampton comes alive all those songs are the, those live tracks. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if that album is actually live or not. I heard somewhere that those are like all studio albums with audiences recorded. I cannot verify that. I haven't Ooh. taken the time to. So I'm going to look oh. into that. But either way, it's one of those where like the song you hear mostly is like the live track. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Like I think there are a lot of good live tracks that deserve to be like the song you hear um what's that other song there's a like clapton there's some you know where it's just like the live tracks are the tracks you hear on the radio even
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and so it's interesting how that happens as well
1: isn't uh sweet caroline a live song too oh if i, I don't think. know oh because i i never hear it on the radio ever anymore but i could swear maybe that one was live. they're they're uh might be another Neil Diamond song, but yeah, there you do get the you know live renditions of certain songs that you're just not like accustomed to. Well, I know when I look on YouTube, no, not YouTube. Um, when I look on like at a jukebox, you know, some they restrict some songs, or the only ones that they have is like a live version that you don't want. That one's always a frustration too. Like I always look for ten years after. Looking for a "Good Morning Little Schoolgirl" just because that's just a beautiful rocker and it's got an awesome bass line in it. And uh, they only ever have the live version. It's just not—it's not as good as like the uh, Shush albums uh, version.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's so true. Sometimes those live versions are just never what you want to hear. <laughs> even yeah. though I'm a hu- even though I'm a huge fan of that, I
1: love live stuff. Yeah, we're on the opposite side. Like, we want to hear all of Gary Clark's live stuff. Mm-hmm. And his albums is kind of like, eh. Uh, but we love you. We love you, Gary Clark. Yeah, that
0: recording today has come so far, just technology alone, where you just get, like, you can get such good live recordings now. You don't have to go mm-hmm. through all this work. And it's it's amazing what you can get. And so you can really capture an artist's sound through a live recording today, like a live audience recording, not just like a live in-studio one-take recording. It's like a whole, you know, they're playing at a show of 75,000 people live recording.
1: Oh, yeah. I love looking at those those sound booths that they got there, and you can see them. They do record sometimes, especially at First Avenue when you're allowed to be above them and look down at the soundboard, and that's always fun. Mm -hmm. But you can see them recording the shows. You can see them working so much there, um, the sound is coming through that soundboard pretty, I, da- I bet you, pretty damn clean and, and really good. Oh, very much so. I'm so jealous of that little sound sound area. I, I really wish I had that one. Oh, that'd be so nice. I would never leave my basement. you
0: know. Right. Okay, so I, I was doing some research on the Frampton Comes Alive, and I guess it mostly was, it was completely live is advertised on the cover. Um mm-hmm. so I don't know if this like where I was hearing this. I thought I heard it on some podcast and I thought it was someone reputable, so that's why I was maybe more inclined to believe it. Um but I can't remember off the top of my head. Wasn't
1: Patrick Carney on Joe Rogan, was it? <laughs> I don't think so.
0: But this article says you probably heard the joke over the years that all live elms of the seventies were actually born in the studio and in some cases there's a lot of truth to this statement but if you're talking about Frampton Comes Alive, Peter Frampton would like you to know that nearly every minute of one of the biggest selling albums of the 70s is indeed completely live as advertised on the cover.
1: Yeah, I would, I, I would imagine that one was live yeah, just because of the way that the it comes through. Like Nugent, Nugent might be one of those people that, you know, didn't do live or he did live studio sound kind of thing. Right, right. I'm trying to think, because I, I could swear that there's a couple songs that I know I've heard of Nugent's that had that, but I might be thinking of somebody else now.
0: Okay, so here here's what I think was happening a lot, was they were recording them live, but they were doing a lot of overdubs in the studio, and I think oh. with Kiss Alive, that's what they did, was they did the live stuff, and they did a lot of overdubs back in the studios. Um So, and I think partly it was just because of technology. Um, So it looks like in those, what the article says is, um, we've come a long way, obviously. So unfortunately, on a couple of the tracks, only some instruments were not recorded because there was a crackling on the tape or the assistant or the guitar tech didn't move a mic. Um, So there's lots of things that weren't recorded well during a live take, even during the 70s. And that, I think, goes back to what we were talking about just with the technology today of how you can record Gary Clark Jr. live and it's going to sound phenomenal. And granted, those are over several shows, so they're taking the best takes, at least mm-hmm. in this one, the 2016 best of, basically. So they're recording all of these takes. They're taking the best ones, but the they're mixed so well and they sound so well, they almost don't sound live, even though they're live. Whereas like in Frampton Comes Alive, you hear... Some of that crackling in the band is mixed oddly together. Nothing Mm -hmm. is super pronounced. So it sounds almost like there's one central mic recording everything and it all is going through that mic. And obviously with everything we have today, that's just not
1: the case. Yeah, now you can separate everything and kind of control it. Where, Yeah, I would imagine remastering those is very, very tough to actually get down.
0: Right. Plus, if you're doing like in the 70s, if you're recording live and you're recording that all live to tape, if something happens like you don't get that back. Whereas today, if you do several recordings and they're all digital anyway, even if you're also doing like a digital to tape sort of thing, everything can be fixed really easily without it being super obvious. Whereas this time you probably is like, well, we missed that whole 30 seconds because you know bob knocked the mixer off the thing or whatever like you didn't get that back so you had to go back into the studio and overdub it and just try to make it fit
1: yeah that's that's got to be annoying you know (laughs) oh gosh bob you'd knock the mix it down
0: thanks bob
1: yeah no technology today is just so amazing especially when you can just you know you can have copies of your of your work of all individual tracks and stuff like that within a matter of seconds where I imagine tape uh, uh, reproduction was very long, longer process, much, much Mm -hmm. longer process where, you know, you can grab 12 jump drives and you got 12 people that have 12 jump drives. So if you lose one, it's not the end of the world. Unless somebody's stealing some shit, then it's like, Oh, Joe Pesci time, baseball bat, kneecap, you
0: know? (laughs) Right. Of course
1: damn, well, no, that, that that makes sense why they do that, but I never actually really heard that, that they would overdub um, some stuff, because you think they would have, like, you know, they would do exactly what they do now, where they take multiple takes, so if, um, you know, one show, Bob knocks the mixer down, and they lose it, it's like, well, you got another 20 shows to go, because they, they used to travel quite a bit back then, too, so it's like, well, if you're bringing that around, and you're bringing it to about 20 shows, Right. you know, you would have at least, you know, hopefully at least, you know, a dozen uh, takes on each one. Well, see, that's another reason why I really don't like that many live albums now. They're all fake! Yeah, because out of the two of us, I think you like live albums a little bit more. Or is that Munstock? Is
0: that no, I definitely like live albums.
1: Yeah. Gary Clark's is good. I got a couple other ones in there, but, yeah, I'm not huge on them unless they're really good.
0: I th- I think they just do a really good job of... I mean... I listen to them because it gives me a chance to hear the guitar player Mm -hmm. really like hear what they're about because sometimes guitar players hold back in the studio and on the track, and that's fine because they're writing to the song. They're not trying to show off. But when you do it live, I think it really gives them the opportunity to kind of stretch the legs a little bit and show off some of those chops, and that's when you can really get into that understanding More about that guitar player because I grew up listening to the solo centric guitar players: Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, you know, Mm -hmm. just to the tippy top of the list because those are who were popular when you're in eighth grade. But and it goes on from there, and Gilmore and all these people, and you just more and more and more and more and more. And then you hear a lot of other music where you don't get those solos because that was really popular in the 60s and 70s was each song would have a rip roar and solo in it and you don't get to hear that as much. So being able to hear a live album, you get to hear a guitarist who might not do a lot of soloing or you get to hear Jimi Hendrix or somebody do even more. Than what you're used to hearing, even just from that iconic solo that you heard on Purple Haze or whatever, you get to hear them expand on that and take it to a whole other level.
1: No, that's definitely, I mean, that's the truth. And going back to what you're saying where they hold back sometimes on on the record compared to being live is, that was my surprise with Prince. It's like you kind of knew he was a good guitarist. I mean, he rips it in songs. But when you see it live and you see how much work he's doing it, um, the, the effort that he's putting into just the show itself, um, you get you get odd. And then also him playing acoustic just as dangerous and lovely as he did with the electric. Um, it, it's just it's just really awe inspiring to kind of see, okay, that's the kind of musician that you are. I see you now. Now mm-hmm. that's that's the best of it. And you and you can hear it through his live stuff, I'm sure too, but when you see it live too it's right it's definitely amazing
0: yeah seeing it live takes it to a whole another level just hearing it live mm-hmm. and yeah you really get to appreciate someone for a whole nother level and i talked about it before but that where the light is album by john mayer is one of those where once you finally listen to it and you get to hear him do those guitar solos and it takes it you, it takes just your appreciation to a whole nother level of that musicianship and that style And what they can do live, because I think playing live is to me, that's kind of the peak. That that's what I strive for, is like I want to be able to play well live. Like I don't want I don't care as much about constructing really good songs in the studio. That's just not for me. I Mm -hmm. get the value of it and I understand the importance of it. It's just not where my interests are super aligned. I get my knocks from performing live on stage and being able to do those cool things live not so much of like look at all the things i did to create a cool recording Mm -hmm. you know i i think it's important to have a good mix of those like i think in a band i would need like that's who i'm always searching for is like i need someone who can be that other side of it and and that's what i've been getting lately is someone who is thinking about it more of like as from a studio's perspective, whereas I'm thinking about it like alive. How are we going to execute this live? How's it going to sound live? But we also need to be able to scale it back so it can be, become a recording too.
1: Yeah. So you when you go into the studio and stuff, do you do you struggle with trying to keep into the same parts? Then is that why the studio is kind of a little bit more? I don't want to say boring to you, but obviously, because the live atmosphere is very thrilling. But when you look at like trying to construct a song and you need that other aspect of it, are you struggling just kind of like keeping your parts down, writing new parts? I mean, what do, you, what do you feel like is not your vibe with it?
0: Well, I think it's more part of the writing process. So I like to write in a live jam setting. And I think that just kind of lends to my thought process of or preferring to perform live or think about it from a live context because I like to... Have something, have someone kind of riff off of that, maybe take it back home and work on it and then bring it Mm -hmm. back the next time. But yeah, I just, I guess just sitting down in the studio to write to me just doesn't appeal because I don't feel it's organic or natural for me. I understand that's how a lot of great elms and songs have been written just in the studio, but I would prefer just to get together and jam and write through that process and that can be done in the studio too i mean that's how the black keys did let's rock they just went and jammed and recorded a bunch so that's the kind of style that would appeal to me so i'm not anti-studio because i think that's super important and i'm really into song construction and in thinking about how the song progresses but i don't think it's my natural inclination
1: yeah so you're more about uh more of the process it seems like like if the process kind of can fit to, you know, like a good medium, you're going to be kind of more involved. Like you would, you would definitely have a little more creative energy kind of built into that.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's that creative process, that creative energy that I thrive on. Not so much the, I'm trying to execute and write a song.
1: Yeah. No, I I like doing the uh, so the, kind of like the opposite of what you're talking about because. Just throughout my years of studying, uh, many musicians from the '60s uh, and the '70s that were trying to always build and build upon their music, taking the tape home or you know working a little bit side by side for certain little pieces, I, I really find a good thrill in doing that. Uh, I just like building a, on a song and kind of building on original ideas because as soon as you you, you get your rhythm track down, um, you know it's like you can add anything on top of it and you can play around with it. You can chop it up and Reverse little parts, and I don't know, it's just really fun. And but I grew up with having so much recording equipment and playing with my dad's uh reel to reel tape machine that you know, I that's really the stuff that really gets me. It's more of like a gearhead kind of a Definitely. approach, I would say. Um, so yeah, I, I've always been in, you know inclined to do that, and you know, the the bigger the board, the more I'm like you know, bright eyed. So I, I just love that process and, and actually slowly building it up. and one of my big guitar, um, I would say one of my big guitar heroes of like constructing a song is George Harrison, because he would literally sit there and meticulously pluck notes on his guitar um, all the time just to find the right, you know, two notes to go with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I think you and I kind of have opposite approaches. And part of that might be the upbringing. I didn't have... Studio equipment laying around and that technical aspect and and that's why I think like that's why I need to keep associating with those people who do because I'm not a gearhead i I keep it very simple I, I like pedals you know I like guitars and amps and I'm starting to get into that now but I'm not one of those people who has several guitars and several amps and several pedals. I like to kind of go through stages of like, here's what I'm playing right now. I'm mm. really into this one guitar and I'm going to play it for a while until I'm no longer into it. Or I'm really into these pedals because I love the sound that I can get with these pedals and th- through this amp. you know. And that's kind of my style. And then I'll evolve over time and be, bring in new amps or bring in new pedals. So it's not like a, okay, now I'm this, but it, it evolves slowly of like, introduce something kick something out that sort of process Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to hear those how those different styles work
1: oh yeah and they can kind of coincide a little bit but it's like they are kind of on parallel paths you know they barely crisscross or they get a little bit tighter closer together because they are two completely you know the, the end result's the same but they are two different ways to look at it
0: certainly and i just think to wrap this point in the last track that we recorded in July with my band, we, it like the other guitar player, Kyle is a total gearhead and I'm not, you know, so I, and in the studio, the, the engineer who was working with us was a total gearhead. So those two were just geeking out the whole time, but we got to do like, we were playing through, I don't even know what it's called, but it was some like tape delay, and apparently to like get one of these things like in its original condition is like years wait list. But I had no idea what it was. And I don't want to say like I'm underappreciating this thing because, you know, I was asking about it and it's freaking phenomenal. But it's not something that I would have like found on my own, you know, but to have that. But I think I brought an element of really trying to get us to practice this thing live and get it down live so we can bring that into the studio rather than being like, here's all my parts, here's all my parts, even though that's how we ended up recording it, doing the drum tracks and then layering in the guitars. But having that, here's, we had the live version down of like, here's how we'd play it live our first time and then bringing that into the studio and recording that. So, I think mm-hmm. we had a good mix, a good or we have a good mix and a good combo, and I think it's really makes for a great song and I'm really excited to begin to share it
1: nice. I can't wait, but no, when you bring it into the studio and you do that live setting, it's kind of it, it's good to have that bass rhythm track that you can kind of play over and kind of play with on top in for sure you know, and that's that's good that you can kind of bring that element in there and at least you guys got some really good uh studio time in there to mm-hmm. rock them out then too absolutely. I had a point, but I can't remember what what you'd said that I was gonna and where I was gonna go now, but Damn. Damn. Oh well. Should we hit stop? I think so. All I think right. you can hit the
0: stop button. Thanks everyone again for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Once again, please leave us a review and hit us up on social media. That's OTRM Podcast on Twitter and on the record music on Instagram. Thank you and have a fantastic week.